very glad to be here this morning and meet a part of the church that I don't get to hang with much and years and two grown children, four grandkids to each child and very thankful for that. Um, but I, I got to say that um, what I'm talking about today is um, new growth for me, all right? I'm 66. So, uh, you know, it's never too late. Um, but I'm thankful to get to talk to you folks because if we can understand this concept, uh, is, see the first slide here says witnessing, is it a one-off or is it a lifestyle? And I hope we'll all be able to answer that uh, question in the same way by the time we get done today. Um, what do you think, what are the emotions even or words that come to your mind when you think about witnessing? Be brutally honest with us all because... Nervous. Nervous. And I would agree with that. Rejection? Rejection, oh man. You never get used to that, but... Countercultural, yeah. Mind your own business, right? All right. Quiet group. All right, no problem. Well, let me let me jump in here with witnessing, and and um, we'll we'll see uh, where the Lord leads us. You know, in, in Austin's introductory lesson, he talked about principled neglect, and uh, where we have to basically make some room for the good by eliminating some of the irrelevant or irreverent activities of our life, you mentioned that a minute ago too, uh, that have no eternal value. I want to emphasize, I think, with this area of witnessing that one of the other things that he said that I believe is critically important to this area, uh, because I know I've had to try to think about this, and it, he talked about prioritized discipline or training in order to change our behaviors. My wife will tell you, I am a creature of habit, but I'm a, a retired physical therapist too, and I will tell you that each one of you are. Um, and so to change is not, is not easy uh, at any age because we even uh, challenge you to check your morning routine out the time you're getting ready for class or whatever you're doing. Uh, if you notice every single thing you do in the morning, you probably do the same exact thing every morning. Right? So there is effort uh, needed to change habits because these spiritual habits, like I said, can be fearful, right? Um, Austin uh, used 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for this purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And I got it, you know, 35 years as a physical therapist, I can't pass it by. Notice he didn't say a bodily discipline is of no profit. <laughs> it's of a little bit of profit, okay? But uh, godliness is certainly much more profitable. Um, and along these lines of discipline, uh, a, a verse that um, I appreciate very much is from, um, I wrote down one, 1 Timothy, I believe it's 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love, and the NIV says self-discipline. We often uh, say to changing our habits or our lifestyle, I can't do that, Right? 
Uh, why do so few of us consider witnessing um, a strength? We haven't done much, yeah. Witnessing actually takes as much as skill. Well, 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 yeah, maybe. Yeah, but that, that'd be the discipline to learn the skill though, right? Yeah, so yes, it does, it does. We need to know, we gotta know the gospel for one thing, right? Uh, we had some good instruction from Pastor Jim in the disciple-making class. He said you should create a 30-second uh, gospel presentation, a three-minute, and a 10-minute, depending on where you're at. Um, in life at that particular moment when an opportunity presents itself. Psalm uh, 138.3 says, states, On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Uh, and Jesus told Paul that his power is made perfect in weakness in 2 Corinthians 12.9. So as this young man said, I will tell you that even at this stage uh, of uh, maturity, I get nervous too when I see an opportunity. Um, but I will also tell you that over the last year and a half of uh, stepping up, um, I feel a great joy when I do because I know it's obedience to what God has called us to. And we'll talk more about that. So when we talk about witnessing not necessarily being a strength for very many people, and I think as big as Calvary is, I think we really would only get one or two handfuls of people who would say it is a strength. And I think we have to uh, you know, uh, realize that uh, God is in control and he wants to show his power and strength. If we look in the Old Testament, Judges 8 and Gideon is um, battling the Midianites and the Amalekites and he starts with 32,000 and God has him dwindle that down to 300 men. And the, um, the opposing army was described <clears throat> as locusts. Okay, locusts are like in this big cloud of locusts, there's hundreds of thousands. And the camels were described as as numerous as the sand and the sea on the uh, shore. Uh, and then in Joshua uh, 6, uh, where the Israelite army marches around Jericho six days, and the seventh day they march around again, the priests roll the trumpets, and the uh, army shatters their jars, and the walls just come tumbling down. So there's no, no mistaking who, who is in charge and who is controlling um, things here on earth uh, but God. So all glory to God. Uh, Jesus, after healing, or hearing, excuse me, Lazarus was sick, which is a dear friend, he waited two more days to go. John 11:4 says, but when Jesus heard this, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So if you count yourself um, not as witnessing not being a strength, um, just take courage that uh, we're going to talk more about how God's going to supply. Um, but it's because we bring that much more glory to Him when um, we step out in faith and, uh, and share with people or plant seeds. catch up to myself here and therefore he alone will receive the glory when someone moves from death to eternal life through salvation if you have that great opportunity to lead somebody to Christ is evangelism is my evangelism what saves anyone 
Yeah, we all know that very readily, right? John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? So, you know, you, you, it's, the Lord is going to use you and, um, uh, to bring someone along um, if you're willing and obedient. And you will be quite surprised at what it will do. Um, so in hindsight, if you uh, begin to make the commitment to share your faith more often, plant seeds, so to speak, uh, if you realize you miss an opportunity after the fact, uh, we must not think that the person may go to hell because I missed that opportunity, uh, but rather I simply missed out on the blessing to play a part in moving that person towards God and the joy that comes from being obedient to God. All right. And how many of us believe, though, that um, sharing our faith is a responsibility of all believers? Yeah. We don't, we don't like to raise our hand to that one, do we? <laughs> that like, feels like stepping off the cliff a little bit, right? Um, so I hope, uh, again, as we go through the Scripture here, we'll uh, see that it really is. Um, this passage, uh, there are other passages which we're gonna, um, we'll read here in a little bit, um, but I thought in staying with you know, what the elders have done over the last couple of years, what they've called the church to, then we come back to the Great Commission. And Jesus came up to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does God ever break a promise? This just thought came to my head as I'm reading this. Of course not. He's always faithful, right? And he says, lo, I am with you always, even when you try to share your faith. <laughs> All right. So this passage, I know that uh, when I was younger, uh, I would look at this passage as something meant for missionaries, right? Because we think go uh, means go overseas, right? Uh, but when you... Um, um, look at the meaning of the original language. You see that go is as we go through life wherever we are. It's just going. It's, it's, it's a sense of, okay, I haven't been sharing my faith. I haven't been um, planting seeds, but now I'm going to. I'm going in my life wherever God has me. So the main verb in this verse is uh, the action is making disciples. And the three ways we make disciples are by going and sharing and then baptizing and teaching. Okay. So what is a disciple? It's a learner. It's a follower of someone. It's any person adhering to the beliefs of a particular teacher. And of course, here we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so you may, might be wondering now, okay, he's talking about a disciple now, making disciples uh, from the Great Commission. 
and how does that tie in to witnessing? We, um, Don and I just finished uh, Pastor Jim's class on disciple making and the structure that they use to show kind of the life of a believer and as they grow starts when they're dead to Christ, right? So we disciple them towards Christ, then hopefully you're saved. Once they're saved, now they're infants. They need to know they've got to go to church. They need to know they need to read the Bible. The, you know, the, the infant description of that new believer is very accurate. And then we continue to disciple, and then it's young child, um, and then, or a child, and then young adult. At the young adult stage, you start recognizing, being fed enough, knowing Scripture enough, knowing God's Word enough that you realize you begin to see how you might fit in, how you might be able to serve in the church or in your community to give back to other. And then finally, parenting, where at a parent, a parent's reproduce, and so at that stage, uh, mature enough in your faith to reproduce uh, disciples. But the point here for you folks with our topic today is, again, that whole process has to start with someone witnessing and ministering to the unbelieving uh, world around us. Some other scriptures, which a lot of you probably have memorized, um, um, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Another thing striking me right now, I'm going to try to stay on schedule. Um, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that you have. My brother-in-law, about a year ago, asked me, um, why did you buy a building and go into private practice? I was already in private practice, why did you buy a building? And I said, because Don and I prayed about it, and uh, our lease was up, and uh, thought about, you know, what should we do, Lord? And we had many people praying for us, and we just felt like the Lord was leading us to do this. He's an unbeliever, and uh, we pray for him. And so that's I'm kind of dabbling into how we can begin to sow seeds without necessarily um, going through the whole Romans road or what have you, okay? So I'm, I'm trying to inch us closer and closer to this idea of a lifestyle versus a one-off witnessing opportunity. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And the witness here is uh, defined as someone who tells the truth about Jesus Christ. So at this point, uh, you know, St. Francis of Assisi uh, is credited with, we're not sure if it's really accurate, uh, of saying, preach the gospel at all times, using words if necessary. Is that biblical? No, I hope you have that, uh, that message has come across. We need to open our mouths. Now, our actions are important, right? Because if our actions don't support what comes out of our mouth, then we've really set the cause for Christ back almost, right? We moved the needle backwards instead of forward. So don't, uh, we can't separate the two. Um, but we're also um, can't just um, live without words of hope. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Um, okay. 
We do not know who the Lord has chosen before the foundations of the world, but if we're truly his children, we will be obedient to his word, which tells us to be his witnesses. All right. Why does God command us to evangelize? Well, we know, we know his heart, right? Um, at 1 Timothy 2, 3, 4, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God does the saving, but he wants to use us as his instrument to draw them uh, to himself. Um, the mission statement uh, was, uh, I just came out of our life group, and it was mentioned there too. And I'm, so I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I <laughs> see how you're trying to blend this throughout our church here. Um, Calvary Bible Church mission statement states, Calvary Bible exists to multiply disciples who glorify God by going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. Um, but the disciple-making, again, the disciple-making process starts by leading them to Christ. Okay. So I asked you a little bit ago with the kind of the emotions and the words that you think of um, when you think about witnessing. And I put some uh, things down here. It's not my strength. I'm too shy. I'm not a good speaker. Don't know scripture well enough. I don't know the gospel well enough. I don't have all the answers. Wow, is God ever going to get the glory from you, right? <laughs> if we, so I, I think in my past, I would have said those all fit me, right? Uh, but God can use them. Um, or God will give us the strength and the power and the wisdom um, to plant these seeds um, of life to people. Okay, so next... Uh, as I was uh, preparing this, I, I don't remember if I heard the song again or the Spirit just brought it to mind, but there's an old Matthew West song called Do Something. And I'm going to read the words to you here because I think it's so appropriate for the challenges we feel when we think about witnessing. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, thought, how did we ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah, I created you. If not us, then who? If not me and you right now, it's time for us to do something, yeah? If not now, then when will we see an end to all this pain? Oh, it's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. I'm so tired of talking about how we are God's hands and feet, but it's easier to say than to be. Live like angels of apathy who tell ourselves it's all right. Somebody else will do something. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of life with no desire. I don't want a f flame. I want a fire. I want to be the one who stands up and says, I'm, doing, I'm going to do something. We are the salt of the earth. We are a city on a hill. We're never going to change the world by standing still. No, we won't stand still. It's just, uh, if not us, then who, right? Because every human on the face of the earth who's a Christian could have all these same excuses and likely do have, right? Or have at least thought of them in the past. 
So the bottom line, what factors into uh, whether we will witness to the world around us? Number one, do we want to be obedient to God and experience that joy? Um, we're going to stop in a minute and let you work on some scenarios, but I'm going to talk about the, what I call the low-hanging fruit, okay? Here's a place to start, and it is waiters or waitresses, okay? Uh, they want a tip from you, so when they bring your food, to say, uh, we're going to pray for our meal. What can we pray for you about? And I want to tell you the responses we've gotten are just amazing. From tears, please pray for relationships. I need a good man. From pray for my parents. They're very ill. Um, oh, no one's ever done that before. Getting tearful. Um, pray for my house. Uh, the, the young waitress um, at Nina's, that's our favorite breakfast spot, and we go there frequently. We go, I think, even more frequently now because Cheyenne is at a point where she brings the food and tells us what she wants us to pray for her about at this point. So the relationship has gone that far. Um, but what I want to say about that is it, there is great joy. Now it was much fear and trepidation, not stumbling over my words. What can we? First I used to say, can we pray for you? After a couple of, oh, I don't think so, I changed that wording, what can I pray for you about, works better. But it is great joy to hear people who, many people who are touched. We had one lady tell us, no one has ever done that before. And it's like, well, it's not so much about uh, no one had ever done it, it's about we're putting a, a rock in her shoes, so to speak. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, to where she's gonna think about spiritual things perhaps at least the rest of the day if not the rest of the week um, okay let me catch up here so what does it mean to live an evangelistic lifestyle well i, I started to um, say that and as a physical therapist i remember i mentioned a little while ago i said we're all creatures of habit right and so when we t the reason I want us to try to learn to, when we see witnessing, hear witnessing, immediately think lifestyle. Because no human being, even Michael Jordan, practice, practice, practice to be the greatest ever, right? Um, the human body has to practice, whether it's mental or physical, to be able to do anything. So how often do you have time, say, five or ten minutes to talk about gospel things with an unbelieving person. You probably do have some of those, but when is a situation, you know, uh, good? Well, it should be any time, but the truth is, if we only have uh, a couple of times a week at the most, uh, for some of you on the go a lot, uh, you may think, well, I don't have five or ten minutes to talk to a stranger hardly all week. So how good can we be at witnessing if that's our starting point, where we're looking to present the whole Romans road or the master's way, helping them understand that they're a sinner in need of a savior. Those are very, very good tools, and we should use them when we have the time. But for our own sake, to get in a habit, it's, you know, hanging up uh, the phone with, uh, to the salesperson, uh, I hope God blesses your day, or little things like that, and looking for every opportunity in life where you can say things that will make people think sp about spiritual things, okay? 
Um, so one of the things I'd encourage you to do uh, to move in this direction is um, you do want to pray about opportunities for those longer periods of time where you can explain um, the gospel to people, but you also want to pray to the Lord to um, help you recognize all the opportunities He already gives you. Okay? I mean, let's face it, it's, it's, it's our main purpose to be here on earth, right? He left us here to bring others to Christ because we saw in, in Timothy that he does, his desires that everyone would be saved. Um, so um, let's um, look for every single opportunity where we can, um, like the brother-in-law, where, you know, I could have said, well, we decided, you know, we thought about it a lot. We looked at finances. We talked to bankers. We talked to... Uh, my OPT uh, classmate, and I did do all those things. But then I don't make him think at all about anything spiritual, if I explain it in that way. Um, all right, so let's, um, let's bring up a slide here. And now I want you to take some time with what we've talked about thus far and just imagine, if you will, some scenarios in these different settings at the restaurant, the bank, the grocery store, answering questions about decisions, work, play, golf, tennis, what have you, family, and just talk. Let's take uh, maybe uh, four or five minutes and just talk amongst yourself, and maybe some of you are already doing some things like this, so you can encourage the others at your table some things that you've done. Um, but let's, let's take time now at your table and just talk about ways that we could bring in spirituality to these everyday life uh, situations, okay? Okay, thank you. You're a great encouragement to me. I see every table talking, that's great. There's strength in numbers, right? So, um, the idea here, we won't necessarily go over that. It's just meant to be encouragement for yourselves to be thinking about these opportunities. Uh, I've told the story before. When our t kids got old enough to drive and their friends were driving, I would randomly ask them, what are you going to do uh, as they're headed out the door? What are you going to do if they offer you a cigarette? Or what are you going to do if they offer you a beer? And they go, oh, Dad, and roll the eyes, right? But, but I, I wanted them to be thinking ahead of time, prepare your answer when you're not stressed, because when you're with your friends, oh, I don't want to look uncool, like, what do I do, you know, think ahead. And so spending some time praying about these situations, Lord, help me be aware. This, um, some of the authors call this like living on our toes, right? The Lord is going to give us plenty of opportunities uh, if we think about these everyday situations to just, as uh, Ken Weiss at Global Impact uh, a year or so ago said, sow seeds wildly because we don't know. God has chosen them before the foundation of the world. Let's not uh, miss an opportunity to move someone there a little bit quicker, perhaps, right? Um, all these little things I will tell you, too. Again, um, I, as a physical therapist, I witnessed at work every day, all the time, because people would come see me two, three times a week, and you can only uh, scold them for not doing their home exercises so much, right? And you talk about other things. And they would tell me about family problems. I'll oh, pray for your husband. What's his first name? And, and so that was easy pickings for me, okay? But never really did much outside of work as far as planting seeds. Um, it is just amazing to see 
um, what God will bring your way. We asked one uh, waiter what we could pray for him about, and he said, oh, wow, that's great. Can I sit down and pray with you? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, you just don't know the response. And, there, and I will tell you now that instead of nervous about the waiter or waitress, it's like, I can't wait till they get back of that food. Not, not just because I'm hungry, but I, I want to see what the reaction is, you know, and see where, see where that leads. Um, the other thing is that, you know, how many of you in this room accepted Christ the very first time you heard the gospel? It does happen, but it's not overly common, right? So we need to plant seeds as much as we can. John 4.37 says, For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Okay? We don't need to feel defeated. I didn't get it done. I didn't deliver. I didn't, wasn't obedient. Because all I got to say is, I hope God blesses the rest of your day. No, it's you're being obedient. Uh, and what I'm finding, personally, is that um, I'm taking the time to expand those times. In the beginning, you're nervous, and you, you, know, you plant the seed, and you get out, kind of, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, we'll talk about different ways to, uh, but that some of that is just confidence. And... Uh, acknowledging that the Lord is going to use it no matter how much I might fumble it. All right. So we want to continue talking about some of the practicalities here. A good uh, book that, and it was, this is not as, you know, this is not a, like a universal book. Everybody ought to read this. This is it. But for me, it. It, uh, I felt like it took pressure off. Um, Gregory Kukul, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, Lee Strobel did the foreword, it's called Tactics. And the basic premise he has here is that when we, particularly if it's a stranger, maybe it's someone we know, maybe it's a classmate, but you don't really know them, we don't know their background. We don't know that if, you know, there could be people who talk about the Heavenly Father and their father abuses them. Well, how, how receptive are they going to be to that idea? And what Gregory Kukul does is ask questions of people to try to figure out, um, you know, exactly where they're at in life. Um, you know, if we're sowing seeds wildly, what does, the, what does the parable about the seed tell us, right? That if there's a lot of weeds, in the field, then it's going to choke it out. And some of these things, I want to read uh, some parts here of an example that occurs early in his book. And the title of this section is The Witch in Wisconsin. So this one's like kind of heavy, and I'm sure you can't imagine yourself being in this situation. Several years ago, while on vacation, our family retreat to northern Wisconsin. My wife and I stopped at a store in town to get some photos digitized. I noticed that the woman helping us had a large pentagram of five-pointed star, often associated with the occult, dangling from her neck. So what's he say? Are you a witch? No. He says, does that star have religious significance? And I asked, and she uh, pointing to her pendant, and she said, yes, it has religious significance. The five points stand for earth, wind, fire, water, spirit. Then she added, I'm a pagan. <laughs> My wife, he's talking, caught off guard by the woman's candor, couldn't suppress a laugh, then quickly apologized. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be rude. It's just that I've never heard anyone actually admit right out that they are a pagan. She explained, she knew the term only as a negative one used by her friends yelling at their kids. Get in here, you bunch of pagans. <laughs> so then he goes on the next question. So you're Wiccan? And she said, yes, um, she was a witch, and it's an earth religion. The woman explained, like the Native Americans, we respect all life. 
if you, he says, if you respect all life, I've, I venture then, I suppose you're a pro-life on the abortion issue. She shook her head, no, actually I'm not, I'm pro-choice. Um, he said, so again, another question, isn't that an unusual position for someone in Wicca to take? Um, meaning, uh, meaning since you're committed to respecting all life? You're right, it's odd, she added, then she qualified herself, qualified herself, I know, I could never do that, she said, referring to abortion, I could never kill a baby, this was her words, I wouldn't do anything to hurt anyone else because it might come back on me. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Well, maybe you wouldn't do anything to hurt a baby, but other people um, w would, I countered. Shouldn't we do something to stop them from killing babies? He was using her terminology. He wouldn't have done that otherwise. Uh, and she said, I think women should have a choice, um, very quickly, without responding. Um, of course, we know, um, we'll skip ahead here a little bit, but choice of what? You know, you've got to clarify what you're choosing before you can answer that question. Do you have choice or not? Um, so he says, when bizarre ideas like these are implied, do not let them lurk in the shadows. Drag them into the light with a request for clarification. So he asks, do you mean women should have the choice to kill their own babies? Well, she thought for a moment, I think all things should be taken into consideration on this position. Another question, okay, tell me what kind of considerations you would make it all right to kill a baby. She answered, incest. Um, so he goes on, talks about where this woman is, and then the next question is, let me see, if I understand your view, I said, let's just say I had a two-year-old child standing next to me who had been conceived as a result of incest. On your view, it seems, I would have the liberty to kill her, is that right? And of course, she was stunned and stopped and said no. But then she says, I'd have mixed feelings about that. The point is, uh, this is kind of a drastic example, but uh, he is using, uh, I mean, how, how um, the Lord can use anything, obviously, but helping her see the faulty logic in her own head between I respect all life, but I'm okay with killing babies, that she's going to be um, um, more apt to uh, stick with her for a very long time trying to answer those questions. Um, watching the time here. Um, he does point out, too, that, you know, we don't, um, he says, we lose if we make someone angry, because when people are angry, they tend not to change their mind. Second Timothy 2, 24 to 26, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So we're simply, he's pointing out that they're simply trying to get at any faulty uh, thinking that they may have and roadblocks to the gospel. And he calls this, uh, these type of situations um, a gardening moment rather than necessarily a gospel moment. Um, and again, that idea of putting a rock in someone's, someone's shoe. Um, sorry. Okay. Sorry, go back here. Here we go. 
So this is another uh, book. The church actually went through this on Sunday nights. Pastor Jeff and some other men presented chapter by chapter. It's Before You Share Your Faith by Matt Smethurst, a very good book. Um, the cha chapters were to grasp the gospel. Um, I'm going to um, skip over a little bit of this. And chapter two says, check your content. That has to do with knowing your audience. Um, um, and maybe you have to get to know them by asking questions, right? To share effectively, we must know our crowd. Don't assume any basics known, but lean in and listen well. So he's also, um, like this gentleman, saying we need to be good listeners. I know in the past I was very often guilty of trying to uh, think of the next thing I wanted to say and not really listening to the response to the first thing I said to the person, right? And I think a lot of us have felt that. Um, to, be, to be effective today, we need to be good at asking questions. C.S. Lewis says, human history is a long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And so we need to find out what that is so that we can show the, um, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love the lost is the third chapter. Is it possible that it's not fear uh, so much holding us back from witnessing as absence of love? In other words, if we love someone enough, we'll get over our fears and tell them the good news. 1 John 4, 18a, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And uh, he says one cliche that is true, people rarely care what you know until they know that you care. The Bible never says that speaking the truth is love. He says we are to speak the truth in love. It's a subtle difference, but a big difference, right? Um, so one of the most concrete ways to love well is to listen well. When you start asking people questions, what, I mean, don't we all want to be heard, right? How many of you really don't like a one-way conversation, right? We don't like a one-way friendship. And so uh, give them, take a deep breath and uh, keep, you know, Praying in your head for them and listen, listen well. They're likely to um, give you s uh, something that would actually allow you to probe deeper. Uh, it might be as simple, like let's say they say they're an atheist. Oh, well, tell me about that. How did you come to that conclusion? And then listen. What, what, what was the rationale? And you're, again, you're going to find or hear something faulty that you can ask the next question or express some Scripture that addresses that. I like what one, uh, in one point in this chapter, he said, fear is not omnipotent. It is not your king. Jesus is. Um, he quotes Max Stiles' book, which I've read that too. That's very good. Um, the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus is the title. And he lists the benefits of uh, prayer, and these would apply to our, our grow groups also. We hold one another accountable, we strengthen our mutual resolve, we learn from one another, we rejoice together in success and cry together uh, in disappointment. We bond through shared experiences in intense situations, we, and when we nurture contagious culture of evangelism in our church, the gospel conversations uh, with the lost become a shared way of life. Um, Another icebreaker that I've used, that I, I, uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer at Global Impact on the Sunday morning service at the very end of it, he said, 
Here's one for you. He said it's universally applicable. So where are you in your spiritual journey? Pretty non-threatening. They could be Buddhist, they could be atheist, they could be anything, and it's really pretty non-threatening. And it's a way to just get a conversation started. I've done it three times, and the very first time was that same day on the golf course. And the gentleman opened up like a fire hydrant. Oh, I need God. I need God worse than I've ever needed God. I'm going through a divorce. I need a church. My kids need a church. I mean, he literally said all these things. It was just like this rush of emotion come out of his mouth with one simple question. Ask it on the golf course, doing the turn. My buddy's uh, cleaning up, and I'm, there's nobody else around. Uh, sophomore at MSU's manning the concession stand. I said, uh, so where are you at in your spiritual journey in life? And she tilted her head and then began to smile, and she says, well, I think I believe there's a God. And so I shared some scripture with her, and we went on her, on her way. But it's, it is, a, I think, a really good um, starter, conversation starter or uh, get people thinking, okay? So I, I mentioned the GO groups. So I define those for some of you may not know what the GO groups are. Um, the GO groups meet weekly. There's a few of them that meet every other week. Um, but the whole sole purpose is to um, encourage one another in evangelism. So we pray for the lost. Um, on Sunday nights, um, we're having, we've been having some training. Right now, we're having some uh, witnessing of what's happened in the Go Groups thus far. Uh, but it's a great encouragement. And I'll just try to quickly um, tell you about our Go Group. Uh, the night um, we flipped the switch, we were meeting already as a uh, basically a Bible study group. And I had warned them ahead of time at this date. And, but on, when that date came and I threw the switch, it was during COVID. And so I'm sitting there listening to everybody. Oh, I can't do that. That's not my strength. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to do a miracle here or this is our last meeting. And uh, <clears throat> so I asked a question that had come to me actually through work. And it says, yeah, but what if we could? What would it look like? Silence for a while. And then one of the ladies said, well, we take treats over the old folks' home and set them out on a table and we put verses on a table. I go, see, you're already doing it, right? And, uh, but that go group now is, would tell you there's no way they would quit. Everyone in there, there's 12 of us. Uh, we had one very uh, quiet person, very strong believer, knows the scripture very well, knows gospel very well, but just not her thing, really, you know? And uh, anyway, she goes to the hygienist to get the teeth cleaned on a day that it had snowed that morning. And the hygienist says they get back to the room where there's a window, says, oh, isn't the snow so pretty? And our friend said it was like a reflex had been struck. I didn't think about it. I said, yes, it reminds me of the blood of Christ, how it washes my sins as white as snow. And she said a couple other sentences, and then she's like, what did I just say? <laughs> and, and she'll tell you that that wouldn't have happened without the encouragement of the group. Uh, Jesus sent the disciples out in twos, right? He didn't send them by themselves. You're not alone. And uh, so support one another. Hopefully, uh, you guys will be able to start a couple of go groups or something and, and just encourage uh, one another that way. It's a tremendous blessing. Um, there we, go. we talked about that, Max Stiles' book. So 
This is uh, mostly a statement out of Smethurst's uh, book, Before You Share Your Faith. I just plugged in Calvary Bible Church, where he said local church. Make, this is the heart of the elders, okay? That's your church here. Uh, and we see that in the mission statement too. But make Calvary Bible Church a loving, magnetic, gospel-sharing community the world can neither understand nor explain. It requires dogged intentionality and the Holy Spirit's supernatural power. It happens when a church begins to see itself as God's most genius plan for evangelism and when the gospel conversations with the lost become a shared way of life. That is your elders' goals, if you will, for you. Questions? Be glad to hang around and talk if anybody wants to afterwards. I know we need to leave some time for prayer, which is extremely important. Um, We had a neighbor that our Go Group prayed for and that our life group prayed for an opportunity. He's a retired psychologist. After about two months, he called me. Randy, you want to go to lunch? Yeah. Uh, first, he says, how's retirement? Oh, good. I just retired in January. Um, how's life for you, Bill? Well, you know, in my age, 84, we've been to a lot, we go to a lot of funerals, you know, more than I'd like to. But I've noticed one thing. The people who handle it best seem to have faith. Oh, is that right, Bill? Tell me more about that. We talked for two hours, and he, he leaned over at the end to shake my hand, and I, I grabbed his hand and said, Bill, can I pray for you? Sure. So we prayed that uh, God would lift the scales from his eyes, and he would feel forgiveness. I didn't even initiate that, other than to ask people to prayer. Uh, so, yeah, let's go to prayer.